from what I uncovered in my research and also what I saw in my clinical practice is that sometimes targeting the behavior is sort of like using a drug to treat a symptom. It's not addressing the root cause. And what is the root cause that's triggering our behaviors if they're not advantageous to our health? And that root cause is culture. Welcome everyone to Heal Thyself. Thank you so much for taking this time out of your day, out of all we have such busy schedules, right? We always have something to do, whether it's work, whether it's kids, whether it's social life. So I know the value of attention and I really appreciate your attention. This show was always made to empower you to really come back to your own personal healing, letting your body do what it does best and heal by removing all the things outside of you that is blocking your healing, of course. So what are the things that we're not being taught or what are the things that are sort of intuitive but can be really helpful for our health? This is what we're doing on the show and thank you for sharing it with everyone you love. Today, maybe one, two, this is the third time Sean Stevenson is on this show and we've had only a few three-peats on this show. And when it comes to Sean, he always does so well at explaining these concepts which we see in studies. He simplifies the nutritional aspect of what it means to be eating healthy. But if you listen to the first two episodes that Sean did on the Heal Thyself show, it was really revolving around what foods help what, how to simplify foods on a budget, how to eat smarter, and ultimately how to lose weight. So he's talked about calories in, calories out, all the myths, but man, this show is very important because he's gonna talk about something that most likely you've never heard about. He's bringing the new research. Actually, it's old research, but no one's talking about it and the new research behind it about what are the health benefits and the importance of communal eating. Now, this may be something new to you. If you're an American, you're most likely not sitting down three times a week, four times a week with family or loved ones. And if you are with your family, kudos to you that you have that practice. But most of us don't know are there detrimental effects to our health? Is it disrupting our state of health by literally not just sitting down and eating in community? Oh, you're gonna be shocked. Because when Sean comes with these statistics, how it affects us is gonna blow your mind. After this episode with him, I was so inspired to eat communally, right? Because I don't have a family here. So eat communally that I reached out to friends and I said, hey, every Tuesday we should do this. And then another group of friends, every Thursday we should do this. You're going to learn that there's an ancient evolutionary signal in our body of what it means to eat in community. And because we've been so far removed from it, it's been affecting our health. And if you know Sean, this man is passionate. So he's going to tell you all the research. He's going to tell you where it's coming from. He's going to tell you the conclusions. He's going to synthesize it into his own words. He makes healing simple. You are going to love this episode. If you eat food, you got to listen. If you have a family, you got to listen. If you want to do better by your health, you got to listen. Enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Look, it is a special day when we get a guest here two times. But when they're here three times in a row, you have to understand this is a very special guest. And I know that you love all of the content that Sean Stevenson has ever put out. And when he's on this show, 
he blows the lid off of it. I always get the DMs be like, oh my God, I never knew about this. All the comments on the assets that we put out, but he's back here. Sean Stevenson, nutritionist, best-selling author. And now he's got this new book coming out this year, later this year, Eat Smarter Family Cookbook. This is the tangible recipes on how to eat healthier, but we're going into some deep stuff today. We're going into the depth of community, connection and eating and how it affects our long-term health. Welcome back to the show, my brother. Man, that's the best intro. Thank you so much for having me. It's the triple crown. It's a triple crown, man. <laughs> we were talking when I was on the show about, um, when I was on your show with movies, like the the sequels and then the third movie, we were trying to figure out which one the third movie was like when is the there best a good one? one. When is there a good one? But <laughs> we, we, did, we did some good stuff together on that one too. But welcome to the show, man. It's such an Thank honor you. to have you here. As always, your work is so tangible hits the heart of like America yeah. and the world. Um, so this, you're taking a very special angle. Yeah. This cookbook that you have out here has over 200 references, yeah. over 200 references, scientific. So I ain't never seen a cookbook that has a scientific right. reference like this, but some things that you found on community. Mm -hmm. Is eating together as a family or community essential for our long-term health? Man, that was the question going into this. And I wanted to look at this through the lens of social science because oftentimes, and you know this, when we're working as a practitioner and we're trying to help people to achieve a health goal or even in some cases to reverse a chronic condition they're dealing with, we target behaviors and we recommend behavior changes and we give guidance on behavior changes. But from what I uncovered in my research and also what I saw in my clinical practice is that sometimes targeting the behavior is sort of like using a drug to treat a symptom. It's not addressing the root cause. And what is the root cause that's triggering our behaviors if they're not advantageous to our health? And that root cause is culture. That root cause is our environment. And so to give a definition of culture, it's the attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors of a community that's passed down from one generation to the next, all right? So our culture is essentially guiding what we believe, what we believe about reality. It's guiding what we're aware of. It's guiding our choices. We might think we have free will, but in reality, culture is like an invisible hand that's directing our attention towards certain things and away from other things. And so, for example, if we have a hunter-gatherer tribe like the Hadza, for example, there are still a couple on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. Their culture, there's an idea embedded in their culture this underlying belief that if we don't move, we don't survive. We have to move in order to survive because we have to procure our food. It's built into the culture. You'll die if you don't move. In our culture, movement is largely optional yeah. in many ways. And also in their culture, their culture blocks them from the awareness that 7-Eleven exists, right? It blocks them from the awareness that Krispy Kremes is a thing. Right? Not to say that there's not a Hadza out there that knows about Krispy Kremes. Yeah, he might have got a t-shirt somewhere yeah, from a yeah, you know, yeah, exactly, missionary or something. Exactly. But overall, they're not going to be aware of this ultra-processed food environment that we exist in. right? And so with this being the case, I dove in to look at what's controlling our cultural perception about food and how can we shift this. You know, skincare isn't just about looking good, right? A lot of us want to look good, but it's not just about looking good. It's about nurturing your skin and being well-balanced from the inside out. And, you know, this world is flooded with a bunch of harsh chemicals that are really insulting our skin, our barrier. 
and you want something truly effective that is safe. Alitura is one of the best in the game. If you never heard of Alitura, you just think of, you might've seen some uh, black bottles with gold writing on it. It's one of the best and they're always at health events and people are loving them and their quality. Alitura Naturals has crafted a serum that is not only safe, but also incredibly effective. Listen, a lot of you ask me where I get my glow from. This is a huge part of the equation. Their gold serum isn't just another skincare product. It's a testament to the power of natural healing and a commitment to holistic health. It uses organic ingredients like jojoba, olive, rosehip oils, and the gold serum is made organically with plant-derived vitamin A, not synthetic stuff, not that nasty stuff that you're getting in a lot of these over-the-counter products. GHKCU and marine collagen to revitalize your skin. Alitura Naturals has been using the best ingredients in their products for years. They've been pioneering the path for what truly transformed skin should be. So if you're ready to take control of your skin health and experience the pinnacle of natural beauty, I highly recommend checking out Alituria Naturals. For a limited time, you, the Heal Thyself listener, will enjoy the exclusive discount, just the Heal Thyself discount, only for you. That's 20% off of this gold serum. Go to alitura.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com and get that 20% discount. It's amazing stuff. I use it every night before bed and I'm telling you, I'm on fire with my skin in a good way. Check it out. It's been a long time since I promoted a coffee because there's not that many good coffee brands. We got one of the best ones now on Heal Thyself. Are you ready to elevate your coffee game? And experience a brew that's not only delicious, but it's also health focused. Let me introduce you to Purity Coffee. You heard me review them in one of my first ever coffee reviews as one of the best, and then my second ever one as one of the best. And it's one of the best still. It's an ultimate choice for coffee lovers who, who prioritize taste as well as well being. I'm gonna tell you what makes Purity Coffee stand out from the crowd. Every step in their process is rooted in health focused principles backed by solid, scientific, research based, rigorous testing. They use the finest specialty-grade organic Arabica beans and then move on to small batch roasting, ensuring that each cup meets the highest standards of quality. But what really sets Purity Coffee apart from all the other coffee brands is their dedication, is my favorite, is their dedication to purity and safety. Their beans undergo third-party testing to ensure they're free of pesticides, toxins, and harmful mycotoxins, those pesky substances that can wreak havoc on your health, causing issues like liver and kidney damage, digestive problems, brain fog, and fatigue. Purity Coffee also has some of the highest antioxidant capacity. And this is important because we have to understand coffee is actually really good for us when we're getting quality coffee. And the reason it's good for us and ensures so many benefits, especially heart health, is because of its antioxidant capacity. Purity has one of the highest antioxidants that you're going to find in coffee, giving you a powerful dose of healthy boosting compounds with every sip. Purity Coffee is grown on regenerative organic farms that prioritize soil health, animal welfare, and community well-being. They have certifications by USDA Organic, Rainforest Alliance, and Smithsonian Bird Friendly. You can also trust Purity Coffee is not only good for you, but also good for the planet. They have a range of roasts from their light medium roast with sweet fruity notes and their dark roast with rich bold taste. So to try out one of my favorite coffees in existence and one that I recommend to everyone still to this day, I've been doing it for years, is Purity Coffee. Go to puritycoffee.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your first purchase. That is P-U-R-I-T-Y-C-O-F-F-E-E.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your order. I have a bunch of colleagues at Harvard and some researchers there did this huge database looking at family behaviors, their eating behaviors together and their health outcomes. And it was like years of data. And so I started digging into this stuff and I couldn't believe it. One of the studies affirmed that, and again, this is from researchers at Harvard, that families that eat together on a regular basis, the children in particular had a much greater intake of essential nutrients that prevented them 
from having chronic conditions, right? So essential nutrients needed for our immune system health, our metabolic health, cognitive function, mental health, they're getting more of those things on a regular basis and far less intake of ultra processed foods, chips, sodas, things like that. And I was like, this is really interesting. Are there any other researchers that have come to the same conclusion? And I came across another study and this one was done on minority children, which would generally be in the context of a low income environment like I came from. Mm -hmm. And these researchers found that by families eating together, and I'm talking about the implications with kids right now, first and foremost, and I'll talk about us in a second as a big, big kids. But for children, what they found was that kids that ate together with their families four times a week had significantly higher, again, intake of, on average, it was five servings of fruits and vegetables every day, or at least five days a week, mm -hmm. all right? Just by eating together with their family four times a week and significantly less intake of chips and soda and other processed foods, and the research on this one, they noted that, especially when the TV is never or rarely on during mealtimes, mm. right? I thought that was interesting. And I'll share one more. I got a bunch of them. Yeah. But another one, this is two, actually two studies I'll put together. It was published in the journal Pediatrics and the journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA. And this is the, we'll just say this is going to be the big takeaway from today, our big action step for all of us. These, research, these researchers found that eating together with our family or friends count too three times a week had this crazy powerful impact on children's health outcomes. They found that eating together three times a week dramatically reduced the incidence of obesity in children and reduced the incidence of eating disorders and other chronic diseases. So there was something remarkable about eating together that was preventing chronic disease onset. And obviously the question is gonna be why? Yeah. Like what's going on here? Why is this so protective and what and I talk about this in the book as well, really dig into epigenetic, the epigenetic input of our relationships and food environment. And the fact that we evolved lit, literally for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, all of us were participating in food and eating together. It was a part of the tribal construct. Yeah. We're all hunting and or gathering together, the food preparation, eating together, the celebration, it was all done as a tribe. Only in the last century or so have we dramatically removed ourselves from that process to where we're eating more in isolation and oftentimes in front of a screen. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a really new phenomenon. And to the degree, those Harvard researchers found that only about 30% of families eat together on a regular basis. And so my question was, this epigenetic influence, is this one of the causative agents that's causing our multiple epidemics of chronic diseases. And I'll share one more thing really quickly. A meta-analysis, 148 studies. This was Brigham Young University. These researchers uncovered that, and this was uh, 300,000 people in the data set. It's a huge data set. Mm -hmm. They found that your social ties was a powerful controller of what your genes are doing. They found that having healthy community and social relationships, feeling connected and a part of something, reduce the risk of all-cause mortality by 50%, okay? Reduce the risk of death from everything by 50% when we have healthy relationships. It's that important. Mm. And learning about how it reduces our risk of heart disease, high blood pressure, uh, more important than cessation of cigarettes even, uh, alcoholism, obesity. Like 
it's so important to be involved, but I love the way that your work has really evolved into this social piece at looking at, okay, yeah, we got the nutrition piece, you know, like no one else has to tell us carrots are good. Right? right, we hear it, we know it. Right, we know about vegetables. Shout we know about antioxidants. Shout out to Bugs Bunny, <laughs> right? But the th this this evolution is so important to talk about because of the epigenetic standpoint. And I guess this begs the next question: What is then your belief of what happens? What happens to our genes? Do we feel safer? Does our cortisol go down? Um, does it, do we properly digest our food because our cortisol is down and we're getting more nutrients is, did you come across a theory as to the why? Ooh, this is such a great question. So two things with all of our advancements in genetics and genomics as well, which is understanding how certain behaviors, environment, all those things affect our, our genetic expression. Unfortunately, people the average person still doesn't realize that there isn't a specific gene that's causative of a certain disease, all right? We've never discovered a gene that causes a chronic condition. There are genes correlated with those things, but there are many people who might have the APOE gene, for example, that's directed towards Alzheimer's, who never have an onset of the condition, right? And same thing with um, the FTO gene associated with obesity, like people can carry this gene and be lean their entire life. There's something that is reading the genes and determining how they're getting expressed. And there's thousands, really thousands of different potentials with a lot of genes on how they're gonna be expressed in combination with all of our other genes. Not to mention our microbial genes, yeah. which is where we're really at today, which if we go gene for gene and understand, you know, we have somewhere in the ballpark of 30 trillion cells. And this estimate changes on microbes a lot, but bacteria is somewhere in the ballpark of like 40 trillion. It outnumbers us significantly, but all of those bacteria have their own genes. And if we're going gene for gene, 99% of our genes at least are microbial. And now we're starting to understand how the interplay of our microbial genes is influencing our genes as well and back and forth. And so with all of this being said, what are the things that is really driving this outcome that we're seeing with protect protection against chronic illnesses and just healthier outcomes when it comes to like, what are the epigenetic inputs? And so to answer your question, there's, I'm gonna say this for, from two places. So why does this work so well, eating together with family to make better choices, feel better, all those things? Just from a logical, kind of superficial aspect, when we know, like, just we're just going to use that three days a week minimum, right? And this could be any day, all right, any meal. So we'll say uh, Monday and Wednesday, family dinner, and then brunch on Sundays, all right? That's what we're going to say. So when we know that Monday evening we're eating together as a family, psychologically, it's opening up that window of planning. Like, we, if we know that it's coming, in our lives today, because we're so busy, we tend to fall into these situations, and our meal times and what we're eating, right? So when I'm saying to pick three days out of the week to get the most out of this information, this episode today, pick those three days, put it on your calendar because we put things that are far less important than our family on our calendar. And I'm saying this from a place of, I've done this myself many times. I've been guilty of this. And sometimes if we don't schedule it, it's not real. Mm. You know, it's just simply not real. It's like putting something in stone this doesn't mean that sometimes stuff might happen and we gotta do a DoorDash, 
but we still make that a mandate on these days we eat together with our family and or friends. Mm. And so it evokes a very practical thing of planning and being intentional, right? So that's part one. The other part with the influence on stress and the outcomes of like how our genes are getting expressed, to set this up, uh, a study, this was published in JAMA as well, Journal of the American Medical Association, and they, they determined that upwards of 80% of all physician visits today are for stress-related illnesses. Okay, stress is a huge component of chronic disease. Mm -hmm. And so, and this ranges from heart disease to depression, right? And so what was really cool was there was a study that I shared in the book as well that was done on uh, employees at IBM, all right? And so what they found was that their work morale stayed high and they stayed satisfied with their work as long as they were able to get home in time to have dinner with their family. Mm. As soon as their work started cutting into that time, that family time, and that quote, make it home from, from dinner for dinner phenomenon, then their work morale went down precipitously and they became more and more stressed and unhappy at their job, which is adding even more stress, Yeah. right? So there is this remarkable stress buffer by eating together with friends and family. It's just like innate because again, we're very social creatures. Even the most introverted of us, still our genes expect us to connect. And also we know today, for example, that we sync up when we're in proximity with, an, uh, with another person. This is out of uh, Princeton, did some great uh, work on this, actually looking at the brain. And they took you know, strangers and just allow them to create some general rapport. We'll just say like 10 minutes. And they see their brain waves start to sync up and mirror each other. Right, that's the term used is, is, is a mirroring. And so it's just like, why do we do that? And it's invisible for us, you know? And that's the thing about us is ironically, again, we have that technology to see this, but we can be completely ignorant that that's happening all the time. Yeah. We can see birds flying in the sky and flying V and we can see all this intelligence in nature. It's just like, huh, that's interesting. Like, how do they know how to do that, yeah. right? It's, there's this interesting, invisible energy that's holding all of this stuff together, right? And again, I'm talking from a very like tangible level, even when I'm talking about energy. Yeah. And so also the energy fields. We might've talked about this before. I've been supporting a heart math institute for right. many years. About that. Yeah. And you know, they have the ability now, and there's, there's a ton of different devices, but um, one of them is able to see the electromagnetic field that is basically emanating from the human heart space. And if we, if somebody is like still on the fence of like, oh, that sounds really spooky or weird, like, I don't know. What do you think happened? Like an EKG or, you know, when you see a movie and you see that heart monitor, boop, is, what is that? What is that measuring? It's measuring energy. It's the electrical energy coming off of the human heart. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to stick anything in the heart to get that. It's, it's emanating from that organ. And so anyways, this tube torus extends about upwards of eight feet from our bodies. Mm -hmm. And so these, these fields that we all have are interacting with each other when we're, whenever we're in the space of other people. We are, our, our energies are entangling, mm. right? And so being aware of that, that all of this stuff is, is really built into how we're designed. You know, there are different references, you know, historic, historical references about people coming together and a new energy is created right? A new entity gets created when we get together with other people. Mm -hmm. It's really, really powerful. But the question is, are we doing it? 
And are we using it to our advantage? Because according to the data, this practice, not only do we have an epidemic of loneliness, but the practice of eating together is on the endangered species list right now, like for real. And so the mission right now is to reconnect families. That's what I'm all about. And it's just like, I really feel like my life was qualifying me for this time, yeah. especially even the last few years and seeing even more fracturing of families. But this has been going on for decades. We've slowly been devolving and removing ourselves from each other. Mm. And look at the health outcomes, look at the results of it. We're less happy, far less happy than we've ever been, less fulfilled, far less healthy. If you wanna even get into that domain, I could throw all the statistics in the world at how bad this situation is. And we're so much more than this. We're so much better than we are, than we're projecting ourselves. And a big part of this, again, is being intentional about connecting, especially utilizing the dinner table as a unifier. Mm. And and it's so accessible because it's right there in the other room, right? Uh, the advent of the TV and then the cell phones, especially now, right? And I, I just I just know it's not even as normal to sit around with your family anymore. You know, I remember as I got older, I was just doing my own thing and I was watching WWF wrestling instead, you know, of sitting with the family. It was Who's just- your favorite wrestler? Uh, probably, I would say Goldberg. Do you remember Goldberg? Of course. Remember he, had the, he did the tackle move. He was tackle, yeah. He, he had the, the sparkles But Stone Cold was, well. he was badass. Yeah. He just walked out and just stunned everyone, drank beer and left. Yeah, he was really <laughs> something. But did you watch the movie Oppenheimer? I have not seen it. No. Okay. There's, it, when, when they do the Manhattan Project, they're in New Mexico. And they, they had Robert Oppenheimer lead it. And he said, okay, I need a team of scientists who are the best in the world. And they started poaching him from institutions going, I need you here. This is the most important project you'll ever do. And they like built him a little center to do all of the work with his team. And he says, no, we need more. We need all of the homes because we need to move all the families here. He goes, because... Mm they're going to be better workers if their families are here. So when you said yeah. that, I thought about it because Absolutely. it was, there was scenes with the family eating yeah. together and, mm. and it makes so much sense. They're refreshed, they're connected, they feel the, the, the love from the family and then they go hard to work on creating an atomic bomb for that, for that one. But <laughs> the, <laughs> the irony. irony, right? The <laughs> irony, but it's, it's, uh, it, it's just, it's such a beautiful concept. And I say concept because we don't even do it anymore. What is the biggest thing that is blocking us from sitting with our family and just eating on a Monday, Wednesday, and Sunday afternoon? You already just mentioned a couple of these, you know, and and I'm being 1,000 with you here. I can count on my two hands how many times I sat down for a meal with my family, with my nuclear family, mother, stepfather, brother, mm -hmm. sister. Mm -hmm. A lot of, and those were holidays, probably nine right. of these 10 that right. I can count on my hands. And... A lot of times my brother and sister and I ate together. And a lot of those times we ate at the same time, but we would disperse. Like we grab our food and it would be in front of a screen somewhere. Yeah. Or, you know, again, we might be watching wrestling, we might be, you know, playing a video game, uh, whatever the case might be. We just simply didn't have that as a part of our culture. And what because because of this data, you know, and again, that study I shared looking at low income, because I'm that's where I'm from. Yeah. You know, I grew up in poverty here in the United States, which when I say that, it, it comes with like, in my mind, immediate asterisk comes up because poverty in the United States is very different from other places in the world. Mm -hmm. If you're in poverty here, you still probably have a television, 
You probably have some form of vehicle. My mom did have cars. She and then this is real talk. She got multiple cars from a place called OK Junk Cars. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> they were okay, okay. You know? And so being able to, you know, we 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 were on food stamps, WIC, um, getting food from charities. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a place called the Hosea House that we would regularly get food from. Even Christmas gifts several years we would get from charities. And so, you know, sometimes, of course, like if you have exposure to other environments like I did with my grandmother before she had moved um, out of the state, a very rich experience, a very uh, safe environment, certainty, all those things, and then moving to the inner city, there is this open window of like, man, I did feel like we were very, very poor and lacking. Mm -hmm. But then there was also such richness. There was this, I I wish people could feel this and understand what I'm saying, but I don't want you to have to live through it though, because a lot of people don't make it out of it. But it was such a rich experience of, for example, being in in, in that environment where real, you know, again, there have been times just playing outside, you gotta get down because, you know, a drive-by or, you know, the basketball court that we go hoop at, there's several shootings there a year. That doesn't, it's still low probability, but it's a possibility. And to have that in the back of your mind, it's like, it's like a war zone. It's, it's very, there's this inherent caution. And so all of these things speak to like, I don't probably want to go there. I didn't have a choice. And what people don't realize is that because of being in that environment, I developed and many of the people in my community such a high level of creativity and being able to make something out of nothing, being able to figure out situations and problem solve. Like there was so, it was, I was so rich in experiences and there were times when we felt very wealthy because we were able to, I remember one time my stepfather, you know, all we had was like some deer sausage that my grandfather had hunted and sent us in the freezer, which I wasn't trying to eat Bambi in my head, you know? Um, and we had some government cheese, you know, this is cheese block. Yeah. There was some pasta sauce in the cabinet and we had some Texas toast, which was what we were getting on the, I think on the WIC program at the time. And he made pizza out of it. He turned it into pizza and it wasn't like Domino's. It didn't taste like that, but just the experience was so rich and I was so joyful because I love pizza. Yeah. You know, being a kid, it's just like, yeah, and really. to see when we had nothing, seemingly, but he he made something out of nothing. And the crazy part was, he was an executive chef. He was a head chef at Morton's of Chicago, mm-hmm. but he couldn't afford to eat there. Mm-hmm. And you know, being able to put food on our table, but he also had his his issues, right? Gambling issues. Mm-hmm. The only time that I had with my stepfather, outside of like occasional playing a sport or video game, was him taking me to the racetrack. I'm not talking about to sprint. I'm talking about horses, right? right. right? That was my only time with him. And he drank drank and drove, not like drink and then drive. He was drinking while driving, you know what I'm saying? So alcoholism ran deep and, um, you know, eventually it, it, you know, led to some brain damage. And Mm -hmm. he was in um, assisted living for almost the last 15 years until he passed away recently. Uh, You know, we, again, this was also during the crack epidemic. And so, you know, my family's really hit hard by that. And I'm saying all this to say that despite those circumstances, being able to shift my perception and to see the good that I can find and to really hang on to that in dark times, but also to understand that 
yes, I'm a product of my environment, but I'm also a creator of my environment. And I can proactively create a microculture in my household that starts with me, of course, but create a microculture in my household that becomes this, like an essentially a force field that protects my family. And so when I made this transformation in my own health, I was living in Ferguson, Missouri. I was attending attending university that was just you know, 15, 20 minutes away at the University of Missouri, St. Louis, which was a completely different reality. Being on that campus, so pristine and like students from all over the world. And then Ferguson over here is just like, man, I mean, it, it, it was nothing to play with. Like, mm-hmm. you know, again, the environment is, you know, it's a, it's a volatile environment, but again, there's a lot of creativity, a lot of love, a lot of community, despite those circumstances, but also the environment within that, within a two mile radius of my apartment, I'm not, you can name a fast food. They're all right. around me. And with zoning and all these different laws that enable some, that, that shouldn't even be possible all we knew was ultra processed foods, which today, according to the BMJ, the average American adult, is their diet is 60% ultra processed foods, mm-hmm. right? So these are foods so far removed from their original state, riddled with, um, you know, additives, preservatives, you know, uh, obviously like these forever chemicals are yeah. becoming a big part of conversation today. And not to mention, you know, these abhorrent amounts of, of sugar and ultra processed oils and things like that. But what I'm sharing for the first time in book form, people are gonna learn about this in the East Smarter Family Cookbook, and I'm grateful that I get to bring this to, to, the, to the public. A recent study was done looking at the ultra-processed food consumption of children in the United States. All right, so adults is 60%. These researchers, this was published in JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association, tracked 20 years, essentially, it's from 1999 to 2018 of ultra-processed food consumption by children. And it went from a terrible already 61% in 1999 to in 2018, it was near 70% of our children's diet in the United States are, is ultra processed food. Foods that are clinically proven, but just logically detrimental to our health and dramatically increasing the risk of diabetes in our children, obesity, mental health issues, the list goes on and on. And it's the majority of our diet. Mm. It's a food environment that I grew up in. And I also, this is the cool part, this is where we get to the, the powerful stuff here is that I also transformed my health in those conditions. And so this is what I have done for, for my family, for my children. And I get to see, and the world gets to see this, like that's what this project is about yeah. because I didn't get an example. If I would have had an example, I think it would have, it, it would have, help me to jettison some of the baggage I was carrying because right. I could see an example. But if you don't see an example, be the example. And that's really the mantra that I took on. And that's even why I created the Model Health Show, you know, right. and just, I named it that. But also, and, and this is the the point I wanna make is, here's what's so cool. Because I spent years, and I know you've done this too, and we still do, but we're we're teaching and helping to empower people while battling with larger in, in entities that control our culture, mm-hmm. that influence our culture, right? So getting people to not go to the drive-through, for example. Yes, we can do that, but the most powerful way to invoke change for people is number one, to be the change yourself, to actually be a representation of the advice you're giving because that speaks volumes, yeah. number one. But also what I realized recently, I took my family 
on um, a family vacation recently, which I didn't grow up, I didn't even get on a plane until I was 25 years old, yeah. all right? I didn't grow up having no family vacations and nothing like that, but I took my family on a vacation and we went to Maui. You know, I'd never been to Hawaii before. I've all, of course, I always wanted to go and, you know, all these mystical, magical things that we hear about. The mana is real, by the way, Out there. In, in Hawaii. And so what I realized was that even in that culture, we're now immersed in, in a different culture, different food, different way of dressing, different beliefs. But what I found was that everywhere that we go, we take our culture with us. We take our culture with us and our culture is influencing the world around us in other cultures. And so what I mean by that is, I can't tell you how many times people were coming up to us and talking to our family. It was, might seem random, but we're used to it. Whether it's like them coming over and seeing us dancing and playing around, asking us what we do, like, you know, asking how my son, my oldest son is so, you know, fit or my, you know, my youngest son is so this or that, you know, or like, you know, asking about my wife and I, how long we've been together, all this stuff. They, there's, there's a magnetism, mm -hmm. right? And I, di I didn't get it before, but I realized again, we're taking our culture with us and people are going to be influenced or affected or infected mm -hmm. in a positive way. And, you know, this is the power that we hold is again, creating your own micro culture in your, with yourself first, then within your household, and then expand that out to your community. You know, when it comes to overall health, the little daily habits can make a huge difference. Take flossing, for example. Seems like such a minor thing, right? But taking good care of your teeth and gums does way more than just prevent cavities and bad breath. Emerging research shows that it can actually support whole body health and may even prevent cognitive decline as you age. That's wild, right? That's why I'm really excited to tell you about this awesome company called Slate and their game-changing three-in-one electric flosser. It's the only product out there that flosses your teeth, massages your gums, and even scrapes your tongue to remove bacteria to promote fresher breath. I've been using the Slate Flosser for about a month now, and I'm hooked. Unlike regular floss picks that you have to jam into your mouth, this electric flosser does all the work for you with 12,000 sonic vibrations per minute, really cleaning out them gums. The innovative gum sweeps give your gums a gentle massage to increase circulation too. And let's not forget the built-in tongue scraper to help zap bad breath at the source. So to start one of the easiest and healthiest daily habits with the Slate Electric Flosser, Go to slateflosser.com and use the code DRG to get 10% off of your very own flosser. That's 10% off of your easy-to-use Slate Electric Flosser at slateflosser.com slash DRG, S-L-A-T-E-F-L-O-S-S-E-R.com, and the code is DRG. You know, living a long life is great. It is. We all want to live longer. But what's even better is living those years in good health, right? Free of the chronic diseases and the ailments. Unfortunately for many, the gap between lifespan and health span is way too wide. And we spent our last years ill, not enjoying our life to the fullest. And that's why I'm always into research-based products, quality supplements that are coming out to you, the highest, the best of the best, some of the best rigorously tested supplements. And one of my favorite companies across the board is Momentus. And they have two that I use every single day, creatine and collagen. These are the two powerhouses at work. I've been open and I've been working out more four times a week. I'm lifting heavy weights and these are staples. And, I, and not just me, I think everyone should be out working out, building muscle, staples to muscle repair and muscle growth. 
But what sets Momentus apart from the rest is its clinically researched formulas. For the collagen, it delivers 15 grams of collagen, supporting your body in various ways. And it's not just one type of collagen, it's all the types of collagen, right? A lot of companies just have one type of collagen. You want all the types of your body's absorbing and utilizing this collagen the way you desire the body to use it. But boy, oh boy, the gold standard for working out, if you're not on this, you don't even have to be working out. You can use it for your brain. It's creatine. Momentous creatine is fantastic. There's no fillers, no additive, pure, effective ingredients you can trust. Trust is everything when it comes to supplements. Momentous third-party test. There's no surprises. What you see on the package is what you get. So if you're like me, you want to feel your body with the best of the best, go to livemomentous.com and use the code DRG for 15% off of creatine and collagen and all their top-notch products. That is L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com with the code DRG for your discount. My belief is that people are infected with that vibration of feeling, whoa, I want more of what this person has or what these people have, because essentially it's health. It starts internal and it's, it's expressed externally. Mm. So it's not just about the fit, it's the energetic frequency too. And that's coming from the woo-woo side over here, right? Yeah. This is the compliment we got on each other. Um, but I, I just, I love that you were able to share more of your story um, in, in the depths of really bringing us there and understanding what it was like and, and actually inspiring anyone who's like, okay, look, these are, these are the conditions of my life right now, but it's not the conditions of your whole life because it's very much so changeable. And for you, you would say it started with your own conditioning of yourself. Uh, like you said, starting with yourself and then expressing that outward, um, tangible for every single person. Yeah. So look, there's a lot of, red, look, I don't cook. I, I really want to cook more, but it's hard for me to like do a whole, a whole meal. And, and you have so many healthy recipes in here. Tangible stuff, like for someone who's 101 guy, I can make this? Absolutely. Uh, That's no another chef. thing, because I've been in this field for so long, I'm a, I'm a foodie. I love, I'm not, I, even some of my colleagues, I've done work with folks, you know, eat to live, don't live to eat. But that's not, for me, again, it's not really based on logic. It's idealistic mm -hmm. because even understanding the way that our tastes are designed, yeah. right? We have these flavor receptors and this connection with our cognitive function, you know, the different neurotransmitters, hormones, and the like that drive us to seek tasty things. This is why we eat food is because we want things that taste good. Yeah. This is baked into our genes. This isn't something to, to shame. And food manufacturers, food scientists today, yes, absolutely have manipulated those pathways yeah. and our desire to seek tasty things and has created, again, a, a multiple epidemics of health problems because of that. And, you know, with that said, for example, um, <laughs> not too long ago, well, it, it's been a nice chunk of time now, but it's, a couple of decades ago, there was an invention, it's called a gas chromatograph. And these scientists were b basically able to identify the flavor makeup in certain foods. And so what I mean by that is everything in, in our reality is chemistry at one level or another. And so they were able to identify the chemical makeup, like what is the formula, right? What is the chemistry to make a strawberry flavor, right? Or the flavor of uh, lime or the flavor of, you know, whatever, an, mm -hmm. avo an avocado. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to identify those, the flavor complexes now we can take that strawberry flavor and add it to things that are no longer that are not strawberry right right so we can add this to juice and to cereal and all this and by the way this doesn't mean that it's 100 identical 
but it is enough to muddy up the metabolic waters and the kind of our our neuro association to these things. And so, you know, leading in with that and understanding that our bodies have been really programmed to seek out these certain flavor notes through our evolution based on our needs, okay? So what I mean by that is, and again, I talk a little bit about this in this project, there's this phenomenon called post-ingestive feedback, all right? So basically through our evolution, when we would eat those strawberries, our, our cells would make like cellular labels of like, okay, this is what I, I got a little bit of vitamin C, I got these amino acids, I got this amount of calcium. So it's just like taking notes on like this, if I need these items, that's the flavor that I'm going to have a craving for. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So like understanding there's this inherent intelligence in our bodies that drive us to seek certain flavors that have been manipulated, all right? So that's the setup, that's what we're dealing with. Now, being that I'm a foodie and I love food and my family loves food and humans, it is built into our DNA. There's nothing wrong with loving delicious food, nothing. Now, how do we upgrade? How do we take the foods that we love, remove the most harmful aspects of it and just eat real delicious whole food based meals? So my family, we love brunch. Like Sundays, it's our thing. You know, if we're, you know, might be going out to Agape, Michael Beck with my guy over there, if we're going on a hike, we're gonna end up having brunch somewhere. And, you know, knowing that, and like my youngest son, probably his top, maybe his favorite food or like up there in the top, top five foods, he loves pancakes. Loves pancakes. And so I was trying to come up with a way to have this, the mouthfeel, flavor sensations, but upgrade this particular food. And I came up with, and, and I have a wonderful food stylist that worked together with me. And we came up with some sweet potato pancakes that are fire. They're so good. Good stuff. They're sweet potato protein pancakes. All right. And so we have, the, now we have a base of such a high quality food as the base rather than like an ultra processed flour or whatever the case might be. Now this is not, even as I'm saying this right now, there's an asterisk in my mind like, this doesn't mean you can't have pan whatever kind of pancakes. What I would encourage people to do is to shift the ratio so we could change over from consuming so many ultra processed foods to more real earth grown nutrients yeah. and earth grown foods. And that's really what I did. I targeted just over 40 specific foods that from the data, have some of the greatest amount of health benefits seen. I'm talking in sometimes a hundred different studies, right? And and this is so cool. Like I didn't even realize how cool this was until recently when I talked about this. My wife and my and, and my team publisher, all that they know that I did this. But I was like, you know what? We have an emoji culture right now. Yeah. Like emoji speaks so much, right? And so even when we're texting, like it's gonna be a couple emojis in there and it it kind of broadcasts which an added feeling to words that can even be taken out of context right. in a certain time. And knowing that, so what I did was identify these particular foods and in this particular section of the book, if it's, we'll just say acai, for example, and I'll share peer-reviewed study that you're gonna learn in a fun way about its benefit for cardiovascular system. But next to the name, you're gonna see a heart emoji because it's good for your heart. If it was beneficial for your sleep quality. There's a sleep emoji. Mm -hmm. There's a brain emoji for cognitive function. Easy. 
There's a, the, the prayer hands, if yeah. it's for, you know, your mental health, right? Yeah. And again, every, I'm not just saying it, I have all the science to back it up. And now let me show you how to use that food in this delicious ass recipe here, right? So we make a, a power protein acai bowl, right? Or whatever the case might be. So that was really the mission, you know, and um, taking foods that I know families love and upgrading the ingredients and they're simple recipes. So it's not like, cause I, again, I've been in this field, I've done it, I've, right. I've got tons of friends with recipe books. I don't want 27 recipes and I got to turn to no. page 17 and find out how to make the bun. Like, yeah. no, like we're not doing that. Yeah. We're going to make this accessible. We're going to make this delicious and we're going to use high quality ingredients that are based on science mm. so that we can enjoy our food and enjoy the process of getting well. Mm. And there's something to be said to when you can do it so quick, right? Or at least it's not going to take two hours, three hours to make. I can make protein pancakes. You want to know why? Because I know how to make sweet potatoes. That's one thing I'm pretty go. good at. And I like protein, you know, I've been working out as we were saying off air, you know? So it, it's, it's, it's really exciting in our, in our cell phone culture. I mean, I'm really excited to even see those little pop-ups coming up. But f for me, when a cookbook is able to just simply break down why this is good for me, how do I make it and how long is it going to take me? That that's more than enough for someone like me, maybe some people love cooking for hours, but someone like me to be inspired. And I know most, a lot of people are like me. They want to just get it done, especially because we're busy with so much stuff. Um, but uh, when it comes to uh, the family aspect, eating together aspect, was there anything else in the research that really popped up for you? Was there anything else that, um, that, we, that we should be understanding? Because we have a cookbook here and for those with a family, we want to make sure we're implementing your foods or some of these recipes, putting it together with the family. It, it, is there a certain time? Is there a certain uh, atmosphere that, 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 that does there need to be prayer or a meditation before? Any pieces, any nuance to this that we need to know? These days, these days, it seems like everyone is carrying on a beverage, whether it's soda or flavored water or kombucha or coffee or tea. But not all beverages are created equal when it comes to quality and health benefits. That is why I become obsessed with Peaks Sun Goddess Matcha. I've been using this for, it's one of the first supplements I really invested in. It's four years ago, probably. And it's not just any old matcha powder. We're talking organic ceremonial grade matcha tea that has been meticulously screened for pesticides, heavy metals, mold, and even radioactive isotopes. Peak takes no shortcuts. Their matcha is cultivated by ninth degree tea masters in Kagoshima, Japan, using century old traditions. Their plants are shaded for 35% longer than usual to maximize the production of vital compounds like L-theanine for calm, steady energy and chlorophyll for its detoxifying anti-aging properties. I start every morning with a frothy cup of sun goddess matcha, not just for energizing my body, you know, we all want to get that caffeine kick, yeah, okay, but for the amazing gut health, metabolism boosting, and antioxidant benefits. The phytonutrients nurture my digestive system, the EGCG compounds help my body burn calories efficiently, and the chlorophyll gives my skin the awesome reading. You see I'm glowing right now, right? That's because of the matcha. There's perfectly proportioned packets that are easy to mix with water whenever I need to pick me up, so easy to make a consistent self-care ritual. Peak is offering you, the Heal Thyself listener, 15% off of their sun goddess matcha plus a free beaker and a rechargeable frother when you go to peaklife.com slash drg they're so confident that you're going to love it there's even a 30-day money-back guarantee no code at checkout just go to p-i-q-u-e-l-i-f-e.com slash drg you're going to get 15 percent off plus all those freebies it's a great question and um by the way sidebar 
also whatever diet framework a person is subscribed yeah. to, which there's so many different frameworks that are effective for certain people at certain times, this book is very inclusive. There's really is something for everybody, but the majority of the recipes are gonna be for everybody. Great. You know? And again, it's just based on really high quality uh, food choices. Now, you mentioned something, there's two things here. Number one, the desire to wanna even make our food in the first place, I share the science on like, how do we upgrade this and, and upgrading the kitchen culture and making it a vibe that you like to where you even wanna do this in the first place, mm. right? And like you said, some people do love, they love to cook, they love to be in the kitchen. It's a stress reliever for them. For me, not so much right. because I have this perfectionist tendency and I want everything to be a certain way and just like, it could stress, it's more stressful for mm. me. Like I love the end product, I love everybody having a good time and loving the food. Um, but all my, everybody in my family can cook as well. Even my youngest son, you know, he, he's 11 now, but he's been cooking for years. Wow. Yeah. And so, oh, another one of the things I was so, I was surprised, but I shouldn't have been, is how few young people, like the most recent generations, that don't know how to cook for themselves. And it's like a valuable life skill. So the tendency is, of course, they're going to eat more ultra-processed foods yeah. because they don't have a skill set. And so as far as the, 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 the culture around the table, like how can we... Uh, up-level that and make this more of a joyous thing. Because if you're going from being on a screen and eating your food, like that's addictive. And so part of the problem with a lot of uh, habit change is taking away something that you enjoy or that your brain is even addicted to and replacing it with something of lesser value, Yeah. right? And so now we need to come in with something of equal or greater value for your brain so you can enjoy it. So I actually share a ton of different strategies on your culture at the dinner table itself. So you just mentioned, for example, why has prayer been a part of family meals for so long? What about a gratitude practice? And it's just like looking at this through, through the lens of science, it's just taking a moment, helping that parasympathetic nervous system to switch on, that rest and digest is its AKA, rest and digest nervous system and shutting off that sympathetic fight or flight. It's just like taking a moment to breathe, to be still, to be present, and it's gonna help with digestion, right? And a practice that my family, we've been doing for years, uh, it's a, a gratitude practice. We all go around a table and we share three things that we're grateful for from that day, right? That's what we do every time we sit down for a minute. Not every time, but like 95% of the time. And, you know, it's been one of those things where again, it gets everybody out of their shell if they're like busy, they're doing all this stuff. It gets you reflective on the, the good things from the day. Even if it was a tough day, you got a mind sometimes or fine. Like, I'm just grateful to be sitting here with my family. You mm -hmm. know, like they might be that. Or, you know, might be in a, you know, won a basketball game or did well on a test. It might be, you know, good stuff like that. And my, a new book has come out, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, it's oftentimes the small things. And so, like I mentioned earlier, the dinner table is really a unifier. Now, okay, now this is this is the reality portion here too, because not everybody is gonna be, this is in every aspect of our relationships. We often suffer because we want people to do what we want them to do and they don't do it, yeah. all right? We, we can't get people to do what we want. Every relationship. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, if you would just act right, just like, don't mess up my vibe. Yeah. Just don't kill my vibe. Yeah, you know, it's exactly. just like, it's really a thing, you know? And so part of that, of course, is doing your own inner work so you're not attached to that and having that expectation for people to behave the way you want them to behave. 
But I'm saying all this to say that, again, if you're trying to change your family culture and trying to get everybody on board, it might not be that easy, all right? But you have to practice. These are gonna develop qualities in you of patience, of creativity. But here's the most important and most powerful part of it is that you know your family better than anybody. Yeah. And part of that is the stress because again, we know what motivates our children. We, mo we know what we know what de-excites them as well. We know what inspires them. We know what makes them unhappy. But a lot of times it's just like we're tired and we don't want them to give us a problem. What if we all feel better? That's the thing. Because I find I found this, and my, my oldest son knows this, and my daughter's my oldest child. They know it's literally night and day difference on my patients from when they were little to today. Mm. You know, and it's because truly. I have a, a greater capacity because I feel better because I'm far healthier. It's not taking everything in me to be patient. Yeah. And this is one of my big missions as well because I truly do based on the data and just of course real world experience, it's not impossible when you don't feel well to have patience and compassion and understanding and be able to perspective take and see other people's point of view. It's just harder it's harder to do it because you have to really pull every thought, every shift in perspective takes energy. It really does. And so being able to basically increase our wattage mm. and our, our capacity, our biological, mental, spiritual capacity to practice those things, it becomes easier. Mm. And I promise you it does. And people know this experience, experientially, when you feel good, life just seems to be better. When you don't feel well, it's when we tend to not do well and things can kind of snowball. And so the last thing I'll share is, you know, on this front, and again, there's different tips and strategies, but one of them is making it a sacred space as well. You know, we have a uh, a rule in the house and I oh, I don't even like to say rules, you know, because of, you know, it's, it just brings about this like, I can't kind <laughs> yeah, of thing yeah. and we want to rebel. We don't bring our phones to the dinner table. We don't bring our phones. We just don't, we keep them away. And I share some studies in the book that just having your phone in eyesight, just even in your field of vision, alters your brain, your cognitive function, wow. makes you more distracted. And there was different, uh, different studies done on this, but one of them that I shared was basically, you know, the researchers brought in some test subjects they either put the phone on the table or like put it in their back pocket or like put it away like in a book bag, like in another room or something like that. And being in their field of vision on the table dramatically reduced their ability to focus. But be, even on being on a person influenced it. But when it wasn't around, that's what kind of where their baseline, yeah. you know, attention, focus, cognitive ability was really coming through. So um, there's different strategies for making that a practice. And he, again, one of the things that we do as a family, like I know my kids, so I know my youngest son is about that dessert life, like his mom. And so if he's been gaming with his friend, for example, and now it's like dinner time, time to get off, which we don't really have a problem like that anymore, but I did see some resistance, you know, earlier on, but it's just like, hey bud, you know, we're having family dinner tonight. What dessert do you want? Oh, I get, the, I get my input yeah. on this process, yeah. right? And um, a lot of times we're going to end up <laughs> for just for it just happens in our family. It might be a rap battle, 
or like a freestyle session might yeah. happen after dinner or, you know, somebody's dancing or we're like, you know, you know, just me messing with each other, whatever. But we, there's going to be some joy 90% of the time. It's not always easy because not everybody has stuff going on. But the majority of the time we baked it in that this culture is going to determine or dictate that we're going to have a joyful experience. Mm -hmm. uh, I.e. from connection. It's coming from that connection. Uh, like just I'm in my own world. Okay, like the gaming thing went this way and then your other son has this going on. You have your work stuff going on and finally it's all put aside, right? And being able to connect with dad, with mom, with sibling. It's such, it, God, it's an endangered art. It's an endangered thing that we're doing that we're not doing in the culture anymore. I love the idea of no phones because I even notice when I'm out with people, like they'll look at their phone and uh, and they, you know, just out of habit, sometimes even reach for it and yeah. like put, and then put it down. Like, why did I just reach for my phone? It's called a just check. It, is that what it, yeah, That's just check, just <laughs> check, just check that it's still there and just check that it still works, right? Um, but w what I notice uh, and, and knowing that like after every dinner with my friends, there's always like, they, they took everything. We're still chatting. We're still laughing. We're laughing about things. We're telling stories about things. And there's an overwhelming sense of like openness and, and joy and you feel grounded, but your heart is open. Something that we've lost so much of because we don't have that community anymore. So what better place to start than your own family unit? So I guess for the last part, I, I wanted to say, let's say there's mom out there listening, dad out there listening, maybe no one with kids and there's just two partners, right? They just, you know, um, how do we really tangibly sustain a practice of eating together? I can't believe I'm asking this question because it's so like cooked into us as human beings, but not anymore. How do we even start to, to do it, right? Because it's easy to say, let's do this, honey. I love you. We're going to do this. And then Netflix is on the next night. Yeah. Do we start with one day a week? sacred space just what are some just bullet points that we can make sure we do something sustainable for each other ah such a good question all right so here's the thing i already shared that that kind of minimum effective dose is that three nights a week or three meals a week whatever meal that is right it could be lunch together breakfast whatever the case might be brunch on sundays pick those three days all right i want you to start there not go from zero to one but I don't think a lot of families, especially people that are listening to this, are gonna be at zero. It's gonna be something that is a, an occasional thing. I was surprised by how many, and again, it's because we tend to develop these bubbles that we live in, in community. I was surprised by how many people eat with their family every day. It's a small portion of people, but it is it is a thing they do every night. They always have dinner together. And also that coincided with families that tended to be significantly healthier, yeah. mental, better mental health and significantly better connection that I could, you know, just, it was very, it was very visceral. You know, I could just, I could feel it. I could see it and I could feel it. Now, with that being said, that is the modus operandi is pick what those three meals are mm -hmm. and put them on the calendar. You know, again, for us um, next week, even my, I wish I had the text, um, but my, he, he texted my wife Actually, it's a group text. Matter of fact, let me let me look it up. This okay. is real time. Real time group with Dr. text. Dr. G right in. here. Yeah, we got... right, I'm going to show you. Yeah, Sean. Sean's going he... through the phone right now. This is from my son Jordan. Can you read that text right there? Starting the blue over right here. Right there. Oh, okay, he said, 
dinner at the table next tuesday question mark emoji with the hands going to the sides like this and you say yep and then you got the muscles coming out like that you see that's my son yeah. asking right because he knows like we've been traveling we're trying to you know get back in a rhythm my father passed away recently mm -hmm. and so it's just like been all this stuff and we've only eaten together at sat down and ate together maybe like once in the last like almost two weeks which is very abnormal for us and so my son because it's in his cognitive, is in his system, in his nervous system, he's craving this. Right. He reached out to us, he knows how important this is. And that was a group text with our family and asking Tuesday. And like, absolutely, like he's helping to reaffirm this thing. It's not just on us as parents. Mm -hmm. And I was, man, like, I can't even put that into words, how powerful that's that beautiful. is. And I get to share that with you right here, real time. Yeah. That's a real thing. And that's what's possible. And so looks like next week is going to be probably Monday and Tuesday um, dinner together. I'm sorry, no, Tuesday to start, Tuesday and Thursday next week. And then we'll definitely have our brunch on Sunday, mm -hmm. right? So those will be our three days, you know, that we can definitely guarantee. And, um, you know, so that's what I want everybody to do is select what those three meals would be, um, schedule it, put it on the calendar and start to work on the, the family culture, like leveraging. And again, all of this stuff is in the book as well, to be able to help create an environment to where you feel good about being in the kitchen. Maybe it's like playing your favorite music. Maybe it's, you know, my wife, <laughs> when she cooked yesterday, she was watching Real Housewives or something. Uh, but this is like her quote, trashy show. Well, that's my quotes I'm putting on there. These shows that I'm definitely not gonna watch with her. She's like, she, yeah. so she likes that me time in the yeah, kitchen yeah. where she's doing that from time to time. Sometimes she's just talking to her sister. Mm -hmm. Sometimes she's listening to music. You know, for me, I've generally thrown on some of my favorite songs and, you know, doing my thing in the kitchen like that and um, transferring that over to the dinner table as well. Like, what are those vibes? Because like my, my oldest son likes to play music. You know, we have like that background music going and you know he's he's a good DJ too. You know, like he knows the vibe. He's, he's the a curator. vibe creator. Okay, you yeah, know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just like finding those things that are unique to your family, because you know what they are already. You we might ignore them because it's normalized, but like what are the things that motivate and connect your family, and start to bake those into the strategy of eating together. Mm, mm, easy, easy. We just got to start with the three days. So if you have a family, you don't have a family. You're in a partnership. Just pick those three days. If you're single, try to pick some friends to go out with. Maybe on a Tuesday, maybe invite someone over. Maybe you have your close friends come over once a week and you have there one of the three days where you're all together making food or just even ordering in, just being together. Uh, just start with the three days. That is the bare minimum, bare minimum. Um, I love that, man. The, every time we talk about stuff, it's just so powerful. You know, you always have the citations that that we know we got we got the human uh, citation machine here. But but really powerful is this social science part. And I'm glad we got to this conversation. We learned so much about food from you, but the social science is to never be understated. It's actually I think the progression of where a lot of this nutrition is going. So so happy to see you leading this man and i can't wait when can we expect to open up this book and put it right there in the kitchen i already got the spot i know where it's going to be so right now people can go to eatsmartercookbook.com eatsmartercookbook.com pre-order the book and as a bonus and this is what we're doing right now we have a, an event coming up 
in October 2023. The book is coming out on 1010. We have the Family Health and Fitness Summit, right? It's a virtual summit. And we have some of the most prominent people in health and fitness that have kids to share their insights, their practices, their strategies. Like, how do you deal with picky eaters? How do you save money on groceries? Yeah. So I'm talking about people like um, Layla Ali, undefeated boxing champion. Mm -hmm. And she's also won the cooking show Chopped twice. She's a great cook. I didn't even know she was on Chopped. I know, right? And she won Man, it. Man, she's a, she's, she is, she might be the busiest person I've ever met, but she made it a mandate somehow. I, and again, you get to learn from her. She makes dinner for her family at least like three or four nights a week with all that she has going on. And so it's just like, how do you do that, Layla? Like, how? How did you get there? And so you get to learn from her. You get to learn from Dr. Will Bolsowitz, mm -hmm. uh, gastroenterologist. Mm -hmm. and family man. Yeah, again, he's got kids. He's had a, new, uh, a, a recent baby as well. Like, how do you create a culture of health in your household? Dr. Daniel Amen, mm -hmm. double board certified psychiatrist, specialty with children. And he's also, he has the world's largest database of brain imaging, actually looking at the brain and not just saying your child has a problem based yeah. on a conversation. Yeah. And so how has he created a culture of health and fitness in his household with his children? And even being a bonus dad, you know, with when he married his, his wife, Tana, who's, she's a nutritionist and nurse practitioner, all this stuff as well. It's just like, so you get to learn from all these people and many more, and you get to get access to this for free. All right, so the tickets for the Family Health and Fitness Summit are $297. So you get free access. With the virtually, book. With the book. With the pre-sale, oh, okay. When you order Fantastic. the book, you get it for free. So you get free access, you can attend from anywhere in the world, it's a virtual event. And also we're doing a 25K health and fitness giveaway too. So, you know, as you know, man, like we've got all these incredible companies that we have these alliances with, right? Companies that we believe in. Yep. You. I got an air doctor at my <laughs> studio because of you, for example, I know, right? I know, I know. And so these companies are so passionate about this movement that we're creating, they're contributing all of these gifts. Fantastic. So people can, you know, one of the gifts, well, it's gonna be several people win this one, but like $500 in groceries from Thrive Market. It's like sort of like a Whole Foods that's like a yeah. home delivery. Yeah. Um, we've got $500 in fitness equipment from Onnit, like you mentioned the mm -hmm. steel clubs and maces yeah, that yeah. we train with at my, at my house. Uh, several people are gonna win that as well. So you automatically get entered into that. So many that. other gifts. So it's, it's, we're, we're really working to create a movement and not just be based around this incredible book, which is gonna be a resource that's there in your kitchen mm -hmm. and there for people, a great gift to share with people you love as well for many years to come, but also around this, being able to connect and to learn with many other people who are excelling in this space, who have families, who figure some things out so we can all work together. I love that. If you have a family, get the book, get the free ticket, go to the summit, learn from the experts, how people are making it work. Um, it's, I'll see you in a few years. I'll be at one of them for you. I just got to so wait a little bit, about. you know? <laughs> but I, I, lo I love, I love that you're creating the movement around this man. Thank you so much for the work that you do in the world. The book we're going to keep an eye out for and the summit and all of the knowledge. I can't wait to hear you talk more about this social stuff. And thank you, man, for being you. I appreciate it. Man, it's my pleasure, man. Always love hanging out with you.